Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we are able to come to you this morning in the name of your wonderful Son, Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are present here with us and that you love us and that you believe in us and that you care for us and you want to build us up. And so as we open up your word and read a familiar story to many of us, we just ask that we'll come again and you'll speak to us, not just to fill our head with knowledge, but that will make a difference tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and the rest of our lives. We love you so much and thank you. Amen. Thank you. It is great to be with you. I'm going to share for a while, then Diane will come to finish off, uh, and she's going to share a testimony, which will put to practice what I'm sharing, uh, and I trust that will help you. I wonder if you turn to two scriptures, please. The first one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and the second is in Joshua chapter 2. Now, we have one avowed intent this morning, and that is to encourage you. It's better than I bring you down, isn't it? I've come to bring you down. I've come to encourage you. Um, Having said that, the first scripture I'm going to read, please don't let it discourage you. (laughs) Okay? Uh, Because that's, that's a good place to start. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. Well, I love because the scripture is so candid and straight with us. And, and this is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. And he says this. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, very few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God deliberately chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. Don't worry, it gets better. And God chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And God chose the things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring them to nothing what the world considers important so that no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God doesn't call perfect people. Doesn't that make you feel better? Doesn't call perfect people. But he makes those that he calls perfect. But he takes what the world says is nothing, and he makes something of us. And this morning we're going to look at a story of a lady, and really, I want to impress upon you the incredible consequence what happens when you say yes to God. The incredible consequence, way beyond even your lifetime, of when you say yes to God. So I'm going to hopefully blow your heads a little bit. Never underestimate the significance 
of when you say yes to God. It has incredible significance and importance for you. Have you ever said yes to God? Well done. And we're going to read the story of a lady called Rahab. Have you heard of Rahab? Many of you will know the story about the Battle of Jericho, and we concentrate on so many things. But oftentimes we forget one of the most important people in Bible history who was there, a lady called Rahab. So we're going to read some verses from Joshua chapter 2. And the backstory is that uh, the new generation is, has come through and, uh, and they're waiting to cross over the Jordan River to enter the land of Canaan to take possession of the land of Canaan. So they haven't crossed over Jordan yet. They're about to do that. And this happens. Chapter 2. It says, Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia. And he instructed them, spy out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And they stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who've come into your house. Their spies sent you to discover the best way to attack us. Rahab, who had hidden the two men, replied, well, the men were here earlier, but I, I didn't know where they came from. And they left the city at dusk as the city gates were about to close. And I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. But she'd actually taken them up on the roof and hidden them beneath piles of flax. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossing places of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the city gate was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know Yahweh has given you this land, she told them. We're all afraid of you. Everyone's living in terror. We've heard how Yahweh made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. We know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For Yahweh, your God, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. That's an amazing thing to say. Now swear to me by Yahweh that you will be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you'll let me live. Along with my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we'll keep our promise when Yahweh gives us the land. Then, no, no, this is, a, this is the plot. Then since Rahab's house was built into the city wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days until the men who were searching for you returned. Then go on your way. Before they left, the men told her, we can guarantee your safety only if you leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window. 
and all your family members, your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your relatives, they've got to be inside the house. If they go out into the street, they'll be killed, and we cannot be held to our oath. But we swear that no one inside this house will be killed. Not a hand will be laid on any of them. But if you betray us, however, we're not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied. Yes. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. And the spies went up into the hill country and stayed there three days. And so it goes on. Go to chapter 6 now, please. It's, it's important for us to let the Bible speak for itself. Rather than me tell you the story, let the Bible tell you the story. You know what happens. In chapter 6, they, they arrive at Jericho, and then they march around the city once a day for six days and seven times on the seventh day. And in chapter 6 and verse 16... This is what Joshua says. On the seventh time around, as they're walking that day, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for Yahweh's given you the city. The city and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to Yahweh. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. Go back to verse 20 then, down to verse 20. When the people heard the sound of the horns, they shouted as loud as they could. And suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed. We had something about a suddenly this morning, didn't we? Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed. And the Israelites charged straight into the city from every side and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, donkeys, everything. And then Joshua said to the spies, keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all her family. And the young men went in and brought out Rahab with her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. And they moved her family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. And the Israelites burned the city and everything in it. Verse 25. But Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, and her relatives who were with her in the house because she'd hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. And you think, and they all lived happily ever after. But that's not the end of her story. We'll come back to that. Here's a lady who qualifies for 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's a lady who, first of all, is nothing in society at all. She's a foreigner to the Israelites. She's a Canaanite. She's the enemy. I don't want to be crude, of course, but the Bible tells us something about her. She was a prostitute. Again, I don't want to be coarse. In common parlance, people say... She was a sex worker. That's who she was. I can't dress that up. That's who she was. Okay? But God takes the despicable. God takes the lowest. 
God takes the things that absolutely the scum in people's eyes, and he says, if I call you, I will make something great from you. You think maybe your life is of no use or any value to God? God loves a challenge. God called you. She was way low down on the social, spiritual scale. That's who she was. But look what she said when she hit them. Verse 9 of chapter 2. Go back to chapter 2, please. This lady's no fool, though. She says this to the men when she speaks to them that night. Listen, I know. I know Yahweh's given you this land. In verse 10, she says something very interesting, I find. She said, we've heard how Yahweh made a dry path for you through the Red Sea. Do you know, that happened 40 years before this moment. They'd been waiting for 40 years. Whether she was 40 years old, I don't know. But she'd heard, and she said, we've been waiting for you. I know you're coming, and now you're here. And whatever you're up to, whatever Yahweh's up to, whatever God is up to, I want in. (laughs) I want in. Remember me. I may be nothing. I'm nothing. I'm an enemy. I'm a foreigner. I'm immoral. But I want in. Do you want in? You say, but God, me? Yes. Anybody. He don't care. You can even be Welsh. Or is it, no, you can especially be Welsh. And you know what happens here. And the, we've just read the story. And the two spies give her an instruction. And they said, this is, what, this is the deal. If you stay in your house when we arrive, and all your family, you stay in the house. Don't move from the house. You caught that, didn't you? And then you have to tie a scarlet cord in the window so we know which house to come to and we won't harm you. If you do that, you will not get harmed. And in verse 21, she said, deal. That's all she had to do. God says to you, I want you to do this. And you say, okay. Very simple. Of course, there's only one problem, isn't there? We know what's going to happen. The walls come tumbling down. She didn't know that. The spies didn't know that. It might well be that Joshua didn't know that. Nobody knew what was going to happen. It's, it, it's a classic film plot. 
You know, it's like stay in the house and, it, and the, the music starts. And we all think, oh, no, we know what's going to happen. And then it's come back next week for next week's exciting episode. What will happen to Rahab? She had no idea what's about to happen. See, this is not a children's story. The history of the world is depending on what happened in these next weeks and days. The day came, of course, when they crossed the Jordan and came across the plain of Canaan, and they arrived at Jericho, and they camped. And she can see them. You can see them camped out on the plain. So she puts the scarlet cord out and she says, okay, I'm ready. Come on, I'm ready for you. And they did nothing. They just waited. The army just waited. She said, okay, we're all here waiting for you. Day one comes and movement starts. This is the day. This is when it's all going to kick off. And anti-violet. Now it's not the time to go down to Morrison's. Stay in the house. <laughs> you can't go out to the bathroom. Stay here. You've got to keep them all in the house. Can you imagine, imagine trying to keep your grandchildren in the house? <laughs> yeah. Woo, that's, that's a tough gig. Day one, they walk around and it's complete silence. And she's thinking, okay, is this it? And then they all go back and camp. She and her whole family are still in the house. That went on for six days. Standing at the window, scarlet cord, thinking, I'm here. Nothing happened for six days. She waited. Then on the seventh day, something different happened. They still didn't say anything, but the army marched around once. And then they went again. And she's thinking, something going on here. Seven times they walked around, didn't say a word. But she's here. And then all of a sudden she hears something. There's this shout. And she must think, this is the war cry before they attack the city. But all they do is stand and shout. And then the most amazing thing happens that no one knew was going to happen. The walls of the city started to fall down. But the only problem is, as we know, this lady's house was built into the walls of the city. See, we think of the story, the walls come tumbling down. Hang on a second. There are people in here people who've had a promise from God in here. God, what on earth are you doing? Why do you tell a lady to stay inside a house when you're going to bring the house down on her head? What kind of God are you? What are you up to? Have you ever thought about that? Why would God do that? Because he's God. Because the consequence of her yes was going to be massive. Can you imagine being in a house, a 
pray it never happens to you. When it starts to come down around your head, what you do? Survival instinct kicks in, doesn't it? You run for your life. We've got to save Granny. Someone pick up Granny. Get her out of this house. Quite rightly that you do. Tragically, when you see earthquakes happen, and you see where houses are tumbling down, and you see people who are running for their lives into the street, aren't they? You know what? I would do exactly the same. If I'm in the, if I'm in the wall in Jericho, and it's coming down, I'm going to think, these guys had no idea. I've got to get out. I've got to survive. I've got to do what I think is right. But she'd had a word from God. Your survival depends on not running. The survival of all of your family, every one of you, depends on not one of you going. You've got to keep yourself and every one of you together. We don't know how many there were. There could have been 20, 30, 40 people in that house. Imagine, and there's fear, and there's panic, and everything's coming down. There's dust, there's masonry, there's, everything is coming down around them. But they stayed put. They actually stayed put. Why? Because she believed right in the middle. Everything is coming down upon me. Everything is coming down. What did God tell you? The times in your life when you said yes to God and circumstances and life seemed to mitigate against everything. What did God tell you? to face that in my own life. Things that God spoke to me years ago about health and length of life came back at recent times in my life. Lord, Lord, I need a word from you. Tell me. And he didn't say a word. But God, tell me. And eventually he said, what did I tell you? And I said, he didn't tell me anything. He said, what did I tell you 20 years ago? But that was then. He said, that is for your life, son. Maybe some of us have to go looking and remind ourselves what God has told us. Because it might be that your life is feeling things are coming down around you. And he says, what did I tell you? She stayed put. Now, the consequence of that is this. See, I'm not going to be very long today. She saved her life. And she saved her family's life. Because she said, yes. I agree, I'll do that. I'll just stick a cord in my window. And we won't move. But your God has got to keep his word. I'll do my bit. God will do his bit. What's your God like? 
Does your God keep his promise? Do you keep yours? That's the deal. When God tells me and I say, I'll do that, God says, I'm holding you to it then. But when you do say yes, watch out. Because the consequence of your yes is bigger than you think. Much bigger than you think. Rahab is mentioned three times in the New Testament. Should we look quickly at them? I trust this is encouraging you. Please be encouraged. Hebrews. Chapter 11. Do you know she's one of the great cloud of witnesses? She's a hero of the faith. Hebrews chapter 11 says, you've got, you got Noah, you've got Moses, you've got Abraham, you've got Joseph, you've got all these big, big figures. And then it says this, Hebrews 11 verse 31, it was by her faith that Rahab the prostitute didn't die with all the others in a city who refused to obey God, refused to obey you see, when God tells you something, do this. He expects me to say to Roger to obey and say, I'll do that, Lord. Because she gave a friendly welcome to the spies. What saved her? Her trust. And she said yes. And she held to her yes. Go to James chapter 2. Please, thank you. James chapter 2, where James talks about the practicality of our faith. And she's, James has just talked about Abraham, who's, the, who's one of the biggest examples of faith in the whole of the Bible. And who does he choose next? After Abraham, he chooses Rahab. And he says in verse 25, Rahab, the prostitute, is another example of this. She was made right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. You see, friends, it's not enough to talk my faith. I can't just talk my faith. I believe in God and trust him for my life. It's easy to say that. I admire you this morning. You sang some very brave words. But was it Sophie? Was that about the cross and the fire? And what are the, what are the lines of that? What are the lyrics of that song? How does it go? When, uh, when, uh, when I'm going through the fire, I'll be with you. When the cross, I'll die with you on the cross. Oh, Christ, be magnified. Christ be magnified. You got a microphone. Could you just tell us what the tell the folks what they sang? Would you? Just that. Just that bit. Where it's on that break where it says, yeah, what was it? Where it says, well, if you what? Because death is just a doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you Hang rise. Hang a second. If I join you? In your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. You sang that? Yeah, you, 
I heard you. <laughs> Go on. Um, and when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing and my song will be the same. Wow. And there was another bit about fire and crucifixion. And... Um... Okay, so yeah, the bit before. I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. Hang on a second. Say that again. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. Did you mean that? You sang it. I heard you. I kept quiet. (laughs) Come on. Um, I won't be formed by feelings. I'll hold fast to what is true. If Ooh. the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Oh, it's up there, look. Thank you, Sophie. You sang that, didn't you? That's your yes. You think, oh, I'm trapped. Sophie's such a nice lady, she got me to sing those words. But you sang them. And I believe you sang them with utmost integrity and seriousness because of who you are. But you realize that the consequence of your yes when you sang that is much bigger, much bigger than this moment in this meeting. Because one more scripture for Rahab, and I'm going to ask Diane to come in a moment. Would you turn to Matthew chapter 1, please? Those of you who know your Bibles will know this. Joshua finishes her story where it says she lived among the Israelites to this day. Hebrews and James talk about her faith. But there's something else about Rahab that carried on long after her death. In the genealogy of Matthew, don't worry, we're not going to read the whole genealogy of Matthew. But it's there for important reasons. And notice this, it just says this, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz. His mother was Rahab. When Rahab went to live among the Israelites, she got married. She married a man called Salmon. And she and Salmon had a son called Boaz. Have you ever heard of him? Boaz grew up to marry a lady called Ruth. Heard of her? Do you think Rahab had any idea of that? Let's get married. Let's have a kid. She might be dead by the time because Boaz was an older man when he married Ruth. Did you know that, therefore, Rahab was the great, great, great grandmother of King David? (laughs) Wow. Isn't that cool? Here's a lady who's a foreigner, an enemy, a Canaanite, a sex worker, the bottom of society, and all of a sudden, God says, 
boom, and she says, yes. No idea of the consequence way beyond her life. Of course, it doesn't end there because, boom, beat this one. I can't beat this one. Because she's an ancestor of King David, she is an ancestor of Jesus Christ. Can you beat that? (laughs) Just think of the consequence. Because she said yes with no idea beyond I'll be rescued and I'll be saved with my family and we're going to live, God says, But dear Rahab, the consequence of your yes will have a massive impact far beyond, not just now in your family or your time, but history itself. She never knew. Can you imagine? Imagine if she said to her, do you know in in over a thousand years plus, your, your descendant will be the savior of the world, and she's going to say, get out of here. But that's what happened. What's the point of what I'm trying to say, friends? And Diane's going to come in a moment. My little life is not little. In God's hands, it's more significant than you'll ever know. Your yes, your simple yes to whatever it is. And it's not like Jericho. My nana came from Dursley in Gloucestershire. She was a daughter of a pig farmer. She was raised on a pig farm, my nana. And she came to Cardiff as a teenager to work in service in a big house. But she'd given her life to Jesus. And when Jesus said to her, do you go to Cardiff to work in service? And she worked on the Marks and Spencer Penny Bazaar. She said, yes. I am here today because my Nana said yes. If Nana had not said yes to move from a little village in Dursley to Cardiff to meet my grandpa, to marry and have my mum and then me, Nana, I knew my Nana, I was, she, I was 16 when she died. She, she never sat with me, she was 95. She didn't say, now one day, you're going to go to Southport and you're going to preach the gospel. She would just go, oh, my dear. <laughs> She'd just talk about Jesus. She had no idea that one day her grandson would be here. And I have no idea of what my words today will have an impact on the world you're going into. But I know this one thing. My words have a significance today far beyond this moment because someone here has heard me. And thank you for listening. Diane's going to come and just round off for us. Thank you so much for listening. Appreciate that. You are so significant. Thank you, Pat. Don't go too far. What, stay in the building, you mean? (laughs) Good morning.
Um, I just want to give a, a really quick testimony which illustrates what Roger has been saying. Um, I started to work for an organization called Christians Against Poverty, and uh, I'm a debt center coach, and I go in and I help people who are in debt to get them out of debt. And I had a phone call two weeks ago to ask if I would go in and see a lady to help her. And this lady was 76 years old, and she'd been scammed and was in debt. And she didn't live in Cardiff. She lived way outside Cardiff, not in my catchment area at all. And when the call came, I thought, my honest, natural response was no. I shouldn't go in. I, it's nothing to do with me. I won't go in. But I just felt a pressure, and I can only say the pressure was from the Holy Spirit. So I felt the pressure, no, I'm going to go and see this lady. And uh, I went to, I'm, not, I'm going to try and not make this too long because you'll just fall asleep otherwise. And I could talk for hours about it. But I went in to see this lady. And because of the situation, I went in with the police. So I go in accompanied by a lovely community police officer. And when I went into that house, it was the most horrendous house I've ever been in. It was absolutely terrible. It was not clean. She was not clean. The situation was just really horrendous. And I came outside and I said to the police lady, I said, I have to be honest. I know that I can't help her through CAP because I couldn't. There, there are other th reasons why I couldn't. I said, <clears throat> but can you leave it with me? Um, I belong to a church in Cardiff. Can you leave it with me so, so I can see what we can do? And I walked away and I'm driving away and I just thought, Lord, I just can't say no. I, I, and I didn't know what to do. And I, I've got to be honest, I spent a few days, I can only but describe it as prayerful thinking because I genuinely didn't know what to do. And I felt the Lord pressing me a couple of things to do. And... Um, I've, I've put those in place, so we're, we're going to help the lady financially pay off her two or three bills. The police are involved with, with the scammers. We've got a skip going in in two weeks' time. There's a group of us from church who are going to go to clear out their house, so, so social services will, will come in and help her. And um, I was really pleased, you know. I genuinely was really pleased. Everything was nicely coming together. And I thought, but Lord... I'm in Cardiff, I'm 30 miles away, three quarters of an hour away. I really just want somebody on the ground. I couldn't find a church. And because I'm working for CAP, I had to phone CAP head office or my area manager and say, look, I've been to see this lady. I'm saying no, but this is what we're going to do as a church. And she said, well, I know somebody who used to work for CAP, who used to run their debts, be a money coach. Um, let me see if I can get in contact with him. So I had this number come through. I phoned this gentleman up, and he lives on the same road as this lady, and he's leading a community church in the village. And um, he said to me, he said, I don't, I don't want to interfere, but is there anything that I can do? And, I mean, if I could have hugged him down the phone, I would. And I explained about the debt. I explained about what we were going to do. And he said, well, I'll go. I can go in. I can sort out the bills. And then, you know, as a church, we can re refund that. But I, I wanted to tell you the story because 
It, I know I said yes, and I went in, and people have subsequently said yes. But I'm very conscious that there were lots of people said yes way before we got to that situation. Um, uh, you know, as a church, the elders wanted to set up a debt center, and they said yes to that. I said yes to run in the debt center. Um, we were able to help the lady because we've got a social fund in the church, which we call the Joseph Fund. And that was set up maybe five, six years ago. And that was Kerry. Kerry said yes to set up the social fund. Church said yes to set up the social fund. And I was thinking about it when Mike gave, um, the, was doing the offering this morning. You know, people gave into that social fund, not knowing the consequences, not knowing that they'd get to a day when a lady would be helped by what they, what they gave. And I thought when Mike was... You know, sometimes when you give your tithes or offerings, you don't know what they're going to be used for. You may never know. But you say, Lord, I'm sowing because that's what, what I should do. Um, so there were lots of things happened. Um, you know, and afterwards, after I'd visited, you know, I spoke with one of the elders. He said, yes, we'll support you in what you think. Our Joseph fund said, yes, we'll fund you. The people have said, yes, we'll come and help you. There were so many people said yes along the way. And I think as well, sometimes our yeses are not big things. They're not, you know, sometimes when we want to do things for God, we think of something amazing. We're going to another country. You know, we're going to do something amazing. But sometimes it is just the smallest little thing. But I know because of the consequence of all those yeses, the testimony of Jesus in that village has gone beyond belief. The testimony of the church, our church in Cardiff, the testimony of that local church, it, it, it's like it's opened a door for Jesus to work in that village. The testimony to the police officer has been absolutely phenomenal. And more than anything, the testimony, the transformation to a 76-year-old lady who was scammed, who is living in appalling conditions, has been transformed. And I just, it, it's just wonderful. Um, and don't ever diminish the, whenever your God prompts you to do something, don't try and think of the consequences. Just say, okay, Lord, if I'll do my bit and you will do the rest. And that's what God did in my situation. And that's what God did in Rahab's situation. He just said to her, you do this, she did it. He took care of the consequences. And I know for me, sometimes I want to take care of all of the consequences. And God says, no, -oh, you just do your bit and I will do the rest. So that's my testimony in that. <clears throat> but just in closing this morning, are you going to come stand with me? Just in closing this morning, we wanted to pray for you as a, as a body. Um, and really, it just, there are just two categories that we wanted to pray for, but I actually think it covers everybody. So and the, the first category is, we wanted to pray for people who just, you want to step out. You're a bit afraid just to make that yes. You're a bit afraid to step out and do what God asks you to do. But we want you to know that he's with you and he will help you. And he will take you on baby steps. Or he will take you in big steps. And the second category is that people, you're already doing it. And even as Roger has talked, even as I've shared, you thought, I do that. 
But today you want to do it more. You want to do it into a greater dimension. You want to see other lives touched by what you're doing. So if you fall into one of those categories and you're happy, would you just stand with me? Stand with us and we'll just pray. Thanks, Beth. Lord Jesus, I just thank you this morning that you're in the business of transforming lives. Lord Jesus, I thank you for each of us. We know you, we love you, and we're so excited that you want us to, be, to participate in what you're doing. Lord, you gave us your Holy Spirit so that we would be able to help you reach the ends of the world. And today, Lord, we just say, we want more of you, Lord. Yes. We want more opportunities to yes. be able to say, Amen. yes. Yes. We want more opportunities to be able to say, we're going to transform that situation. We want to partner with you, Lord. Yeah. We want to do everything that you called us to do. We want to respond, Lord, with faith and with hope yes. and with expectation. But more than anything, Lord, we just want to say, we're available to you. We're available to you to use us in whatever way that you want to use us. Because we know that you're with us that you're for us, that you don't leave us alone, that you equip us for every situation. Yes, thank you, Lord. So today we say thank you, Lord. Amen. We're here. We're available. Use us, Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.